<laughs> I can I can tell Nathan that you don't like the authentic um, uh, a piece of our thing. He goes, he goes, I like to leave that stuff in because it makes it sound more personal. <laughs> no, I, I thought it was funny. I just didn't expect it. <laughs> so I was I was actually thinking about that, and I was thinking about the doo do, 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 do. Was that uh, I Dream a Genie? What was that? I Dream okay. a Genie, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was trying to remember. Why, I don't know, I have no idea why that popped in my head, but like when I was starting to sing our theme song, I was like, that's just what popped in. I was saying, for some reason, I was doing like more like Scooby-Doo. Like, yeah, it was Yeah, it was a weirder. Mine was yeah. not at all right. It's just like when I started like, oh, if I, I hope. music. <laughs> I hope you guys are recording right now. because We are exactly. recording right now. This is all money right, right so we are officially about to begin the <laughs> I love it. I love it. Welcome everybody. Uh, my name is Jason Kern. I am the assistant head of school for innovation and learning at All Saints Episcopal School in Tyler, Texas. And I'm here with my co-host, Mike Cobb. Hey guys, it is great to be back. And today we have one of my most favorite people in the world. We got Adam Mangana here, who is always like mind bending. Every time I talk, he just like stretches me in new ways. And so I'm super excited to keep our sandbox chat moving forward today, but we'll probably leap like 4,000 miles ahead today in our conversation. So if you're not sitting down, you might want to grab a chair because Adam is always somebody who kind of takes you to the next level. So welcome Adam to our sandbox chat today. Thank you, Mike and Jason. I'm, I'm thrilled uh, to be here. This is, I predict this is going to be the premier podcast for the independent school world, and I'm happy to be in on the ground floor. <laughs> that was awesome, Adam. Adam, will you introduce yourself to our uh, listeners, all, you know, 7,000 or one of them? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I'm Adam Mangana, and uh, I am... Uh, the host, the co-host of a, a podcast called Ready Teacher One, which is focused on uh, deploying technology in the educational setting. I also work in the virtual reality space, and I come from the independent school world. I'm a former head of school uh, and proud ISL graduate from uh, Peabody College at Vanderbilt. And so uh, Mike and I and Jason have a lot of uh, connections from our times together in the independent school world, and I'm just thrilled to be here. Awesome. Um, well, you know, as we talked about last time and all of our dedicated listener uh, know, uh, <laughs> we uh, are here to talk about the sandbox is all about those in, in between times, those great times when you go to a conference and you catch somebody in a hall or, you know, you're hanging out after a session and, and you're just chatting about what's going on in their world and what they're passionate about. So we're excited uh, to hear um, Adam, what 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 are you passionate about today? As as Mike says, uh, you know, I think back to episode one with Matt Scully when we were talking about exit velocity. Uh, we may be exit velocity pretty quick here as we talk about uh, Adam's passion. So, Adam, uh, tell tell us what you're passionate about now. Tremendous question, and you know, it's interesting. I um, <clears throat> I recently saw an interview, an old interview with Elon Musk, right as he was investing in Tesla. And you know Tesla existed before Elon Musk, but uh, no one knew who it was before Elon. And, and Elon was basically sharing the elevator pitch, and it struck me. He said, "You know, 
we're building a car that's faster than a Porsche uh, and more fuel efficient than a Prius. And so when you ask me what I'm passionate about, I want to bring to the world uh, education that um, is, you know, more, uh, the value proposition is more than a place like Harvard, but it doesn't have the price tag that these incredible colleges are, are bringing to the table. Now, how do we democratize a world-class education? How do we bring that? Uh, how do we leverage technology to um, decouple a world-class education from having to move to Cambridge or Oxford or Palo Alto uh, to be able to get access to it? And one of the tools to reach that big audacious goal uh, that hopefully we'll talk a little bit about today is virtual reality. And um, one of the things that have, you know, you guys and, and me connected are, is this big philosophy around um, the way that children learn best. And, you know, we talk about the teacher and schools like Harvard, schools like Yale have spent a lot of time investing in the supply side, getting the very best professors in the world. We talk about the fellow learners in the classroom, right? Uh, and so admissions policies have been created to curate uh, learners in this kind of, you know, maybe their ability to test or, or their backgrounds to create really diverse learning environments. But there's this third piece that's often underlooked, but All Saints really thrives in this space. And it's the, it's the actual space as the third teacher. And so when we think about that, and we think about the ability to, for example, wrestle with some of the greatest minds in history, go back and hear a, a Socratic seminar from Socrates. You know, you'd like to do that in a context that creates relevancy. And VR allows us to hack time and space and go back into these environments or travel to places that are uh, inaccessible right now due to our current context, the pandemic. And so I'm excited about uh, finding ways to scale world-class education and make it as affordable as possible. In, a, in an ideal world, technology would allow a world-class education to be free. And so that's what I'm, that's my big audacious uh, goal is to figure out a way to give uh, the world world-class education free. Adam, I, I mean, again, mind blowing, you know, we have been working so hard on this idea about really considering that the idea of those three teachers and uh, I still remember the first time you kind of showed me a virtual reality space and then you showed me not only what it looked like but how it actually had the relational side that is so important to learning where I think I, I assumed that it would not be able to be achieved in that same way. And, and it really is, it's like this next dimension that we don't even think about, um, no matter how much we think we're forward thinking. And so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what, what it means for um, learners to be in a, a, a virtual space, but still be able to have the very deep relational side of learning, um, because I think that's something that a lot of people miss out on. Yeah, great question. You know, I still remember when it was kind of a, a you know, a, socially awkward to say that you met somebody online and online dating, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we, there was a time where people just didn't do that. And I think for many educators, right, like online teaching, like University of Phoenix, online school had a similar um, stain. It, it, was, it, it wasn't real, you know, and then we all get thrust into the pandemic. 
And what we find is that the market had produced a lot of content, online academic content that was highly transactional because it was designed for people who were working, who wanted to get learning delivered to them as efficiently as possible. It was designed in most cases for adult learners, right? And now all of a sudden, many schools have to convert their highly nurturing kindergarten program into an online experience in one week, right? And so what we find is that many uh, online programs, a lot of times we talk about, well, the schools weren't ready. I actually think that the online programs weren't ready, right? Because they were all built for this kind of transactional experience and they weren't really built for the relational nature of learning, which is what parents and teachers really value, right? And so um, we were all kind of, you know, granted it was a crisis, but we were all kind of learning, yearning for this kind of common courtesy of connection that I described that happens in, in classrooms like the ones we find in, in All Saints Episcopal Lower School, right? And so VR uh, creates an immersive experience where we are not distracted by our phones or uh, the hustle and bustle of life. We can be completely focused and completely present in the experience. So the sense of presence is very different than even a Zoom call. And we can um, have the accountability of a relationship that you just don't have in Zoom, right? And so this, this technology, from a technical perspective, we call body transfer. You're actually in an avatar, and as your hands move and your mouth moves, the avatar moves. So it simulates your expressions, and we use haptic feedback to be able to literally shake someone's hand. And so we can, we can have these vibrations that we feel when we touch. And so one thing that we did when the pandemic happened is we, we piloted this with a group of eighth graders, and we noticed in the downtime of, of class, they would play patty cake or they would play rock, paper, scissors uh, in VR because they were longing for each other in terms of the connection. You, you just can't do that in the same way in Zoom. And so I think as the, uh, as the hardware catches up with the amount of uh, polygons it can process and, and we get to a more photorealistic avatar, I think you will see um, VR be the primary delivery model for online learning in the future. That's really cool. I, I, I've got three. I, I'm, you know, I'm sitting with two guys that like to live up in the 30,000. And, and so I want to bring it down a little bit and let's, let's talk about a couple of practical things. So I got three important, well, I have one important question and then two less important questions. Um, my important question is if we went in to see Socrates do a Socratic circle, would it just be called a circle? Okay, sorry, I, that probably should have just been in my head. Um, <laughs> then, so as we talked about this, um, the piece, and I think back to the recent uh, sandbox that we just did in virtual reality, and, and I'll let you guys talk a little bit about that, but there were two things that really caught me there. The first was our first meeting when we were uh, in that large amphitheater space virtually and we could move around in that 360 audio piece and how that really allowed for that and when what a great experience that was and how that was a little bit different to me than any other uh, vr space i've been in and then the second one was actually going to mega ever's home 
and going and touring and actually feeling that experience. So um, those are my two that I'd really want to tee up. If you want to answer the Socrates question, I'm, I'm totally fine, but uh, I'll <laughs> let you guys handle those two uh, thoughts because those are the two that really um, from uh, last month or a couple months ago really brought home to me. Well, you know, I, I, I don't know the answer on, uh, on the Socrates question, although I think he would have answered it with a question, probably back oh, to you. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, nice. Hey, well Very done. Well good. Done. <laughs> um, you know, absolutely. I think, I think that's the thing. Um, if you have more than eight people on a Zoom call, it gets really complex with audio management. And one of the features that I really love about VR is, is this 360 the audio feature where we can have breakout sessions. So teachers can create think pair shares go to this side, walk over here, teleport over here, go up the mountain in Mars and teleport. And I want you guys to terraform Mars over here and then we'll, we'll teleport to you and figure out what you've done. Some of those things that, we, that are timeless in terms of great uh, pedagogical practice, we can deploy in VR in ways we just can't in Zoom, right? So that, that's, that's there. The other thing is like in the, in the case of the Mega Everest piece, right now, you know, Mega Everest home in Jackson, Mississippi was not designed for uh, hundreds of thousands of people to walk through it every day. And so right now you cannot, you literally cannot walk through Mega Rivers home. And in this current context, we don't want to forget that rich history and that the complexity of that time. And so the home is an artifact of that time that we want to preserve, right? And so VR allows us to do that. And, and the way that that was created in, in, in that computer generated fashion was we literally went there um, just like we went to, to, uh, to All Saints, and we shot a 360 video, and then we converted that uh, into a computer-generated uh, experience that was at scale. And so when we think about the ability to do that for classrooms um, and, and you all to be able to offer a version of All Saints Episcopal to the Nuba Mountain region of uh, Sudan, that will change the life trajectory not only of students in Tyler, but it will change the life trajectory of students all over the world. And so one of the, the things about uh, All Saints is it's an incredibly magical place, but up until this time, it's been very difficult to scale because of, of all that magic that you've created on that campus. You can't pick it up and ship it all over the world, but now we can, right? And you guys can deliver that magical experience if you wanted to, anywhere in the world in a digital with a digital twin of the uh, exact replica of your campus that's pretty exciting it's very exciting so mike can you do a little explanation kind of of the feeling uh, of um the 360 video because you know there's one thing about in zoom you can i can think pair share and take them into breakout sessions and i'd never see them right but there was something different about that coffee um house experience or cocktail bar experience that we had on there and i just think that uh, you do such a great job of explaining things like that well, I just, you know, for me, what was really exciting was that, first of all, for our virtual tour of the campus, I mean, the person who is engaged with it is in control of it. So they have the opportunity to turn and to see what's going on, to focus on the thing that engages them the most. I mean, you know, I, I worked in admissions for a long time, and I remember being on a tour with someone and trying to glean the whole time. What were they interested in? What were they liking? What were they really wanting to learn more about or see more? 
um, in a virtual environment, um, I don't have to worry about that because they're doing that for themselves, right? And so uh, that was what I was really interested in is watching how, um, I mean, I could be looking at one element that was really exciting to me and somebody else would be looking at something else totally. Um, but then also that, that you really do feel like you're there, obviously. I mean, like, I mean, it is a, um, it, it is a video that allows me to be immersed, but it also allows me to get a sense of the size of the space and the depth of the space, but also even the use of the space. I mean, we, we did different, you know, when we were on the learning farm, the, to be able to kind of get the context of what that feels like to be on the farm and look down those rows, uh, uh, is different than what it was when we were walking, say, through one of our fab labs or whatever. But but in each one of those spaces, because of the um, the environment, it allowed you to capture it in a way that you just you can't with just normal film. And I even think that in some ways it's better than when you are there by yourself because obviously in most tours or whatever you're limited to the time that you're allowed to be there. Uh, with this, if someone wants to linger in the fab lab and explore it for a long time, their time, it's their space, right? So those are things that I'm really excited about when I think about how the, the tour was experienced, but how it may be used more in the future. Very cool. So as you, as you think about these possibilities and you think about this um, different way of learning, um, obviously, there's the big audacious dream of that we're going to have a totally VR school that's going to democratize, uh, you know, education, um, high-end education, uh, and, and we all want to get there and, and, and moving towards there. But what are some of the in-between steps? What are some of the Monday morning steps uh, that we're taking in VR right now that are, that are dancing us towards that line? Great, great question. You know, um, you know, as school leaders, you've just spent the last year making sure that you can put all of these kind of risk man management controls in place just to have physical school again, right? And so a lot of resources have been spent, a lot of human capital has been spent designing these plans to navigate the in-person school experience uh, during coronavirus. I think a lot of school leaders are going to look to the next year and, and wish that we could be back to normal, but realize very quickly that there's, there's never back to normal. And that although that they've created these, these risk management systems for their own environments in which they can control, uh, the whole element of field trips and learning expeditions still offers a new set of risk, a, a new set of complexities. VR is an immediate solution for that, right? So the way to begin this is to offer virtual reality field trips or virtual reality learning expeditions. And that's a way that, that teachers can integrate virtual reality in a really value added way uh, and tie it to the curriculum that they are, they're teaching. And it's in lieu of trying to um, get children on a plane or a bus or into a public space that hasn't um, figure it out the same uh, level of risk that, that a place like All Saints has figured out. So risk management that a place like All Saints has figured out. So, so we see a way to begin this process and solve a big pain point for many schools as uh, camps or learning expeditions or field trips, short pieces that are tightly coupled uh, with the curriculum. For example, you know, there may be a, a civil rights curriculum and we want to explore Megar Ever's home, both in the computer generated version and the 360 version. And I think if we can create lesson plans and reflection points, I think one of the magical things about what All Saints does with its sandbox is 
it, it creates these intentional reflection points. Um, and this is another artifact of that, right? So, so it's, 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 it's encouraging and incentivizing metacognition, thinking about our own thinking. And if we can do that in a way that allows kids to travel places that they couldn't travel, pack time and space, we do it in a way that doesn't compete with teachers' real estate, but actually gives them time, right? And brings, you know, that's, that's the teacher's biggest pain point is how am I going to fit all of this in? How much time do I need to spend trying to figure out, you know, what the mask policy is at the museum? No, no, no. We don't need to figure any of that out. Let's throw the headset on. Let's jump into the Northern Lights. Let's head to North Korea. Let's head to the Darfur uh, region of Africa. Let's head back in time to, uh, you know, the, the uh, 1968 Memphis during the sanitation uh, marches uh, during the, the Martin Luther King assassination. So there's just a lot of opportunity that uh, virtual reality opens up for, for these kinds of learning experiences. And I think it solves a big problem for many of our educators right now. Hey, Adam, you know, one of the things that I, I think that when you're talking about that is that not only can we, again, you know, have those kind of experiences, but, but what, what it means to the depth of learning for the students uh, that, you know, beyond just having an opportunity, I mean, you've talked to me about just how we can use VR as a, um, you know, a, a, an avenue for teaching empathy. And that's something that we really, really are passionate about. So I, I'd love to have you just dive into a little bit about how we can really, well, first of all, I love your thoughts on how we can and should teach empathy, but then how VR can be an, a, a tool for that beyond just that we want to go someplace we couldn't go, but that we can actually do something we couldn't do through that. Mike, that is a tremendous point. I think it's one of the best empathy machines. You know, if we look at historically how we've taught empathy, it's been through stories. And what VR does really well is it accomplishes uh, something we call in psychology perspective taking, literally walking a mile in someone else's shoes, right? And so in the example of, of 1968 Memphis, which we just touched on, you know, through body transfer, we can walk in the shoes of a sanitation worker. Um, in that 1968 co uh, context, as Dr. King is coming into Memphis and advocating for equal pay, right? And so we can see this perspective of tanks in a uh, U.S. city. And, uh, you know, in our, in our modern context, we, we often think, oh, how crazy it is, how bad it was. Well, in 1968, in Memphis, there were literally army tanks rolling in the city. And for a learner, right, somebody who wasn't there, who didn't live in that time, um, those things help give perspective and perspective leads to empathy. It leads to trying to understand someone else's point of view. And I, I'm not sure if there's a skill we need more <laughs> than that in there in our current context. And so if you can walk a mile in someone else's shoes, if you can uh, see the world from the perspective of somebody completely different than you, I think it ultimately brings us closer and ultimately achieves what we're all looking for, which is a more perfect union. I think, I, I think, it's, I think it's so cool. And again, watching, again, when folks go into these scenarios and watching, I mean, again, not only just that, I mean, again, it's, it's amazing, right? I mean, like, like the, the first thing, it's really cool. And, and I, I've been really fortunate um, with our own VR labs to put a lot of people in for the first time and with some of our new tools that y'all helped us get with the new Quest 2s, I mean, like, it's neat watching somebody go in for the first time, right? That they're just, they're in awe. It's wow, I didn't know this could exist. 
But it's that next moment when they have that experience, when it, it, it becomes emotional to them. Like it is emotional. Like when they get to do something, I mean, even if it's something as simple as I had someone in my office recently and they were fishing, right? And they were doing a fishing thing. And it, like, that was like something they loved, right? And they were like, oh my gosh, wow. Are that they are actually putting themselves in a situation that they hadn't ever uh, experienced before and couldn't really understand. I mean, it, it is, it really crossed that line from the, this is really neat. This is a neat experience that, that is triggering a fun part of my brain, but it's also, it's an emotional connection. Have you, have you, uh, I don't know if either one of you have seen this trending uh, kind of phenomenon on social media where they'll take a hundred year old photo and animate it or a 50 year old photo and animate it, a black and white photo of someone and show it to, you know, an elderly person who knew that person. And so like, it might be somebody's, um, wife in their 20s and this gentleman might be in his 90s and he's seeing an animated photo of a still right and you're watching him cry and of course it's emotion it, it brings emotion to us now imagine you being able to do that immersively with an avatar that is lifelike wow. through the intersection of some of these new emerging technologies of of ai right and you can go back and see your grandfather when he was 20 years old. Um, it, the, the power of that emotional piece comes with a lot of responsibility. And so although I'm excited about the prospect of being able to do this as a learning tool, I think some of the things that, um, that we teach in independent schools, the, the ethics, the sense of, of becoming a good citizen are paramount as the tools get a lot better because we just because we can build it doesn't necessarily mean we should build it and so i think it it, it even increases the value proposition of the independent school or the school that's focused on developing good citizens that's awesome yeah three totally and i really think that that you kind of hit the my my next question the segue to my next question we, we've talked a lot so far about consumption and all the cool ways that we can put uh, students in experiences that they couldn't have um, because of whether it's a pandemic or just travel restrictions or just other things that don't allow us to go places but i, I think about you know, we have all these things around Tyler, for example, um, that other people don't know about that uh, they probably don't have the thought or the resources to do uh, in that field trip away. And I was just thinking, well, why can't we have our students creating those um, virtual tours for others to see uh, the Rose Museum or um, the Tyler Oil Museum and, and be able to teach elements of that. Can you talk, you know, a little bit about how uh, students could do that, but also just about shifting from consumption to production and how that important that is for students. Oh my goodness. This is, this is, it, Jason, I want to thank you for that question. It's hugely important. I think, you know, there are really two goals for the successful VR lab uh, at, at, in, in any school context, uh, but particularly at All Saints. I think you're right, curating amazing experiences is going to be super important. And that skill set is really um, a, a, an instructional leader skill set. You know, th those people know what it takes uh, to deliver and engineer a learning experience. And so the curation, I think, comes from the teacher. But on the production side, uh, the highest order of thinking is creation. And, and 
and you know my 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 real thesis is that the entire internet will move into three dimensions and we want our students to be the people who are kind of owning the means of production of that future and so when we think about preserving or sharing or promoting tyler and we think about whose perspective can be captured i think you're gonna you're gonna see incredible amounts of value from your students telling the story of tyler from their perspective in an immersive environment to other students i think they're probably the best positioned to share that experience uh, in a lot of ways. Now, how do we do that? The technology is getting a lot more accessible. Um, you know, if we're talking about high-end VR production, the low-end range of that is about $500. Um, and so you can get, you know, what is essentially like a, a 360 GoPro. <laughs> uh, but, but uh, you know, our, our preferred company is, is Insta360, and they have a couple of products that are around 500 bucks that that gets you in the game producing very high quality 360 content. Um, if you wanna get up to 4K, 8K, uh, even 11K, you're looking at 5,000 to about $17,000 per camera. And most schools aren't gonna do that. Um, but the accessibility, once you're, once you're able to stitch those images together, it's, it's, a, it's a very simple video editing platform. Many kids already know they can edited in iMovie or, or uh, Final Cut Pro or uh, Adobe Premiere. And so um, many kids are already producing content for social media and it will be very natural for them to just uh, make that content immersive as platforms and as hardware improves. I think one of the things you said there is one of the most important things to me that, that students don't always understand. And, and Mike and I talked a lot about this when we did eighth grade stat capstones at Oak Ridge uh, when we introduced that program is that, you know, oftentimes students think, well, why would somebody want to hear me talk about something as opposed to an expert that is the docent or something like that? And it, it is about perspective, right? Nobody else can tell another eighth grader, another 12th grader what it's important to that 12th grader, right? There is that unique perspective that it comes from a different point of view and, and they have that unique point of view and to express that is, is just vitally important. I think about the speeches we saw yesterday at Senior Thesis, Mike, and, and I mean, I could have heard a expert talking about it and they might've been slightly more informed, although for several of ours, I'm not sure they would be, but just to hear it coming from a student's perspective uh, is, is unique and it's powerful. And I think that, that we really need to make sure that students are embracing that power. We, we need more student voice. I mean, I, and Jason, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. Yesterday watching that, I mean, I was truly emotional through the whole time. I mean, hearing students, again, not only talk about some really deep topics, but to talk about the impact on them and then their reflection, right? Well, what does that mean to me? And I literally had a couple of kids say, like, if you're suffering with um, isolation, you should read my paper. If you are down, these are the things that I did. You know, like, it was so powerful. And I think for so long, we've been trying to come up with all the solutions for um, our students and for education. And we need to let our students share they have the answers they can help us through that if we give them the tools and well, the, the access there's also like a huge competitive advantage that a place like all saints has in its k-12ness right so mm -hmm. you know one of the things that i think um thinking in these terms helps us is to give 
get away from linear thinking, right? So, so you know, it may be true that kindergartners need more of a teacher voice because they are just emerging as learners, but 12th graders should be able to offer younger students a ton of perspective. And so one of the things that I love about the, the idea of producing VR content, this is something we've done in many of our schools is we've had older students produce VR content from the direction of the teacher for younger learners to understand a concept. So they get the experience, and this is something that All Saints does really well, of producing a, my, uh, a minimal viable product and getting feedback on it, right? So we're learning about, uh, you know, chemistry and uh, covalent bonds, and we have an eighth grader build an experience, and now the second graders are gonna go in and they're gonna rip that thing apart. And now the eighth grader benefits from getting feedback from the second grader, from creating this experience, and it creates a more entrepreneurial environment for our learners, which ultimately we think is a, a ton of value. But, you know, I think, I think that that's a really interesting place because the eighth grader is still figuring out, you know, I, there's something I can learn from the 12th grader, but there's also something I can share to the younger child. And I, and I think, um, I think, you know, none of this replaces the teacher, none of this replaces the expert, but it does create the facilitation of learning happening in those three domains, right? Mm -hmm. The teacher, the environment, and the colleague, right? The, 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 the learning partner. So I'm excited about what this, this technology offers, but I, I'm very quick to share that none of this replaces the, the teacher. The teacher is still at the center of the learning environment, in my humble opinion. I, I mean, I don't think that there's any doubt that um, you need that, that teacher there to facilitate and guide the conversation um, and, and any fear. I'm sitting in Tampa right now. Quarterbacks matter. Ask the That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and they are the quarterback facilitating to getting the, getting the students in the proper place at the proper time. You know, I, I really like how Tim fish talks about structured student agency. I mean, that's yes. one of the talks that really brings it home that we want student agency, but that doesn't mean just turning over the keys totally to somebody until they're ready. And we've got to make sure that we scaffold uh, that learning, especially as we move up the learners. But, you know, as I'm listening to, um, Adam talk, Mike, I'm, I'm thinking about what we're doing with our sixth grade history next year, where we're going to spend the first trimester really utilizing experts to hit five core areas around Tyler and, and how those students are then going to teach, uh, make artifacts that are going to be used to teach other students since not everybody's going to have that opportunity. Um, and it just, it excites me to think about the possibilities of doing those in multiple avenues, one of them hopefully being VR. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be cool too? like, you know, obviously we started on VR, but wouldn't it be cool to mint a digital twin of an artifact in Tyler on the blockchain for the first time in history and in Tyler, Texas at any school, right? And so just the learning process of, okay, should we do this on the Ethereum blockchain? Because that's what's most popular. Should we, you know, but the gas fees are high. Should we do this on, you know, Cardano or Polkadot? Just that exploration for the students to be able to mint a digital twin of an artifact in Tyler, Texas, that would have some scarcity, would have huge value and would just be fun. It would just yes. be exciting. We just minted something on the blockchain, guys. That's fun. I, I can promise you the kids would uh, be excited about it and they'd probably teach us as much as we would learn going through it when that happened. <laughs> 
That's right. That's right. Yeah, that is really cool. And and, and I think about I know Adam that that you're really into this idea of of the external validation of blockchain and and what we can do with those possibilities and those ideas um one thing i haven't spoken with you about uh and that i've read more about lately and it's really interesting to me and i don't know how you pronounce it it's not dog coin but it must be dogecoin how do you dogecoin yeah and and so um what what are your your thoughts on a the current state of um you know, Dogecoin, Bitcoin, the whole blockchain piece, and and what are the possibilities that you see going forward? Yeah, um, I don't want to get too political, but I, I do think it's you know I I love to to talk about this through the the uh, the context of history, right? And so we think about um, currency in general, and and why did currency have value? Well, initially we were trading things. You know, I had some goats, uh, you had some corn. And we said, hey, that'd be great if we could trade. Um, but the thing is, as I was giving up my time, as I was trading my time, I was trading my labor, I couldn't store my energy. I couldn't store my monetary energy in that corn because it would go bad or my goats because they might get eaten by, you know, coyotes. And so we, we said, you know, let's, um, let's, let's use gold right? Gold has these properties of indestructibility. Like a lot of the gold that we're wearing today, if you have a gold ring on, you know, somebody had that gold in Roman times, right? It's indestructible. And so we thought this is the hardest asset on earth. It is the hardest physical asset, but then gold got really scarce and really heavy. And so we needed something that would be easier to trade, which was silver. And so gold was the store of value and silver was what we were going to use to buy some coffee at the uh, the Roman coffee shop there, right? <laughs> right at the at the Roman Starbucks, we'd use some we'd use some silver coin instead of some gold, and so this was durable for a long time, guys. I mean, we still have family offices storing gold today in 2021. Um, we are now leaving an analog world and we're moving into a digital world. And we still have the same challenges that we had as we invented gold as a store of value. And so, you know, how do we store our monetary energy? How do we save that and pass it on to our children and our children's children? And so the crypto world, the cryptocurrency world has been competing for that kind of uh, store of value. And many think that that Bitcoin has emerged as uh, the apex asset in that space, that Bitcoin will be the best store of value. Uh, there is still room for uh, my analogy of silver. There's still room for digital oil. There's still room for other uh, spaces. And those are in the very, very early stages. So I don't encourage anybody to invest in those spaces um, if they feel strongly about Bitcoin, I personally have stored a lot of my own monetary energy in Bitcoin because I, I agree that Bitcoin is is uh, is the apex asset there. But I don't give anybody any recommendations. I just tell that story to say I think we're moving from an analog world to a digital world. I think we're going to need a store of value. And so, you know, a uh, hundred years ago, people used savings accounts to store their value, and because 
the dollar was backed by gold, you had 8% or 9% in your savings account. Uh, the dollar is not currently backed by gold. And if you were to put money in a savings account today, that money would eviscerate, right? And so we do need a store of value. And as we think about those things, it was, as we think about moving from an analog world to a digital world and institutions think about that, they're gonna need to figure out how to store uh, their energy, their monetary energy. And so um, it's a heady thing to think about, but that's the simplest way that I can explain it. And I think people will have to make their own personal choices around this, but I think people will store more of their value in a digital space because they don't need a big, uh, you know, plane or, or, or Fort Knox or, you know, they don't have the limitations of trying to transport gold physically uh, as they move their stored energy around. Now, Dogecoin, so difference between Bitcoin and Dogecoin, Bitcoin is fixed, only 21 million ever. Dogecoin was made as kind of a meme. It was made as a joke. And they, you know, they, 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 uh, they print, they, they mint more Dogecoins than the U.S. dollar every day. So, so <laughs> Dogecoin was kind of memed into existence and it was made as a joke. Um, but, it, you know, people have, have pointed out it would be really ironic if it turned into, you know, digital silver, if it, if it became what we traded with uh, because it was made as a kind of meme coin. Yeah, I mean, I think as a monetary um, instrument, it's obviously fascinating. But I, I think that there's there's points where Bitcoin spins into a uh, you know really blockchain. I mean, Bitcoin's kind of the Kleenex of of blockchain in in my thought process. But but in credentials, right? And in this idea of how do I um, store my intellectual energy? you know in different ways outside of monetary and how can we use blockchain to to do that i know that mike we've had conversations with several people about about the possibilities of that and it's just uh, uh, interesting to, me, to think about that evolution yeah i mean to me what's fascinating to me is right now one of the things that many schools hold right now that we kind of keep as our power is that we control your transcript we control what we tell everyone we control what you get to say you did and didn't do um, what I'm excited about for the possibility of credentialing and blockchain type um, uh, environments is that um, a kid could come and get credentialed and then they put it in their, their, their wallet, their learning wallet, their digital wallet, whatever you want to call it. And it doesn't matter what the school says. If you did it and it's verified, you did it and it's yours and no one can take it from you. They can't charge you $15 for a transcript every time you need it again. No, it's yours. And you're going to share it. Verified people can trust it. And I think that empowers learners though, to want to do more because they will be able to control what they share with other people. They'll be able to have that check off list. We all know there's something about the gamified approach. If I have a digital wallet and I really care about it, I may want to try to put more into it and do more things so I can get it verified. So those are things that I'm super excited about in the realm of education, especially when it comes to this. And, and, and isn't that the step that gets us closer to democratizing education that you were talking about in the beginning, Adam? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I say this kind of half jokingly, but, you know, what's the value of the blue check, you know, uh, on Twitter or Instagram? You know, that 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 uh, there we're, we're socializing a generation of children that are going to respond really well to that and are not going to respond to butts in a seat for some kind of arbitrary Carnegie unit right, that they can't relate to. It's like, do I know how to do it or do I not? And right. um, 
and I think, you know, it's kind of, you know, four years of college is just an arbitrary number, you know? I mean, many of us need many more years. Some of us need fewer, you know? Right. <laughs> so, you know, I think we, again, are all of us share the same human experience of time being scarce and anything that gives people time allows people to learn more efficiently, uh, allows people to focus on uh, skills and perspectives, I think is a net positive for the, the learning environment. The other thing that I think is really interesting that Mike got at is this idea of dematerializing school. And so, you know, not just on the student side, but the teacher side. So if Mike and Jason don't need uh, Vanderbilt as an institution to validate their value, and they can go directly to the market. Um, that's interesting, and and so over time, I think you're going to see more entrepreneurial um, uh, educators creating online courses that have a combination of asynchronous and synchronous material, and it's almost like the peloton of learning. You know, you can have different levels of access to Mike Cobb for different price points. <laughs> there's a there's a free version and then there's the the the, the high-end uh, personal coaching version well i mean I, Mike, I, give me a price I, I love this thought. give me a price <laughs> <laughs> i mean I, to me this thought is that that really cool next level though because again why we've leaned on the big name institutions for so long is because we we felt like we could trust them more because they had done something or they had somebody that we we trusted we could verify a certain name or whatever but um, if we could then verify through, again, the multiple sources and, and through blockchain verification, that then we now can trust, you know, wherever, uh, whatever name, school or experience as much as we trust the big name, elite, um, selective experience, right? And so to me, that's- Or, you can, or you can trust the market, right? The yes, decentralized right. Uh, student, you know? It, so here's an example of the way I think about that. Airbnb. When five people in San Francisco and seven people in New York had consumed Airbnb, nobody was like, hey, uh, I think I'm going to go stay at a stranger's house. Right. Right. But after, you know, a million people had stayed, then you were like, hold on now, is Airbnb cheaper than uh, Marriott now? Can I? Right. I think I might try that. Right. So that's what's going to happen at scale that allows for things to get a lot cheaper. Right. So, like, if, if, Six people say that this person has done something. That's okay. But if two million people have said that this man <laughs> has passed this class or whatever, then it's a little different. It's, it's just a little bit different. Or more, more applicably, that this teacher is really good at delivering math instruction. Right. If you have two million people have said that, I'm signing up for that teacher rather than going to Harvard where I just – I think those – professors are good, but maybe they're busy creating research and maybe they're not going to teach me anything. <laughs> that's, that's where this thing gets interesting. I agree. Awesome. <laughs> Guys, we've done some good lifting by 1015 today. <laughs> I'm telling you. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, Adam, this has been you, man. yet another uh, exciting 45 minutes that have flown by <laughs> on the a All Saints uh, Episcopal School Sandbox chat. I just want to thank Adam for taking the time today to uh, to spend some time with us. You want to plug uh, your podcast again and your company? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ready Teacher One is the podcast. 
We would love for you guys to check it out. It's great content just like this. Uh, and Lobaki VR, we're based out of Mississippi. Uh, we, we're, you know, we're happy to help if anybody's interested in deploying virtual reality in their school or uh, look soon for some, uh, some new exciting information on VR field trips. And I was, right. gonna, I was gonna give one last plug to that and say, if you're not following Adam, then you're missing out on a lot. So you need to make sure you're listening to the podcast, following him on social media, and, and just try to keep up with him. That's what I try to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, wrap us up, Mike, send us off. Well, again, we are thankful for all of you who are listening to our podcast. We hope that you will, uh, again, continue to think deeply on how we can impact the world through really engaging students with authentic learning, with student agency and all the things that we love. And we look forward to having some more of these podcasts coming soon. And we're going to go out with our awesome, cool um, music montage right now. Thank there you, guys. <laughs> hey, Adam, thanks, man. Safe travels to you. Appreciate awesome. you. Awesome. You guys, we'll be in touch soon. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. See ya.